Welcome back, friends, and thanks for downloading this episode of How to Wow with Hollywood superstar Mini Driver. But first, every morning, Tash, my wife, and I go scoop da loop with one heap scoopful of this all round nutritional insurance, which is made up of no less than 75 vitamins, minerals, and whole food sourced ingredients, including a multivitamin, multimineral, probiotic, green superfood, scientifically researched and blended together to support and improve energy, recovery, immunity, and digestion. Deep seaweed green, like nature itself. This eye candy concoction takes just a few seconds, like no more than five or six. Okay, ten tops. To prepare and taste absolutely gorgeous. And so, here's how you can get yours. Simply visit athleticgreens.com slash how to wow and join health experts, athletes and health conscious go-getters around the world who make a daily commitment to their health every day. Again, simply visit athleticgreens.com slash how to wow. Okay, and don't forget slash how to wow because this will entitle you to the special deal Athletic Greens have given how to wow listeners. A free year's supply of vitamin D and five travel free packs today to take with you on the go. Once again, Athletic greens.com slash don't forget how to wow okay it's time to queue just over half an hour of absolute gold from the sensational mini driver it's been a while mini how are you doing i'm doing really well how are you uh fantastic we are all in love with a you always have been uh, but b your book is fantastic oh come on thank you no seriously we all said the same thing it's one of the best if not the best autobiographies we've ever read oh my god God, honestly, oh, it's so guys. cool. It's so beautifully written. You know, it's it's prosaic. It's it's punchy. It's funny. You know, it's concise. It's heartfelt. It's clever. It skips along. Couldn't put it down. Could I, not put it down. I'm honestly about to cry. Like I am a bit tired, it's, but I'm really like that. I, I'm so proud. I know you, you do lots of things. You know, you have many um, um, colours to your rainbow, but you should do this because you're really <laughs> good at it. Uh, it's a great book. It's it's the most original autobiography I've all re- also read because of the way you have written it. Let's get on to it. Look, it's so good, everybody listening. Minnie's hair gets its own chapter. <laughs> <laughs> and by the way, it's, you know, it lives up to all those pages. Yeah, my hair is, a, um, it. yeah, I mean, it needs its own podcast, really. It's properly, um, an, a, you know, it's an extra part of me and always has been. Um, it took me a while to wrangle it properly. Um, of course, different to your sisters. Um, uh, where did you go for? Is it, was it France you went for this haircut? I can't remember. It's yeah. France, wasn't it? Yeah, I always describe me and my sister as the. Um, um, she is the eternal Fay Ray to my King Kong, right. and she is the sleek, blonde, beautiful, and I was an overgrown kind of Mark Bolan esque, <laughs> which makes me sound cool. So more Brian May, love him, but. <laughs> More like Animal from the Muppets. That's what I look like. But, you know, um, you you learn to accept and uh, embrace your hair. and yes. And uh, it's become one of your signatures, hasn't it? Yeah. And I think that's the whole, that notion of, um, it's so difficult when you're young, allowing for the fact that parts of you are going to evolve that are really awkward and difficult. But they do. And then that evolution brings its own problems and challenges. And it's, you know, I think that's, the kind of central thesis of the book is that nothing's ever really working out, but it is it is working out, just often how you, you know, 
you didn't expect it to. Well, I think it's just called life, isn't it? You yes. know, um, don't be surprised by anything yeah. that happens. You know, yeah. absolutely, there, there may be challenging things that happen, but don't be surprised by anything that happens because things happen. And therefore, don't mind what happens because that's just a waste of time getting in the way with dealing or enjoying what is going on in your life. But it's also completely impossible because we get wrapped up in our I we know. get wrapped up in our stories I and the, know. you know the stories that we tell ourselves in our head and that society or partners or school or our work tells us. Um, and it's kind of unpicking that and unravelling it is, is part of what's interesting and definitely part of what's very hard. The way you've written your story, you know, it's a romp. I mean, it hits the ground running a million miles an hour. You know, we all know, come on, we've got to admit it. The first couple of chapters of autobiographies about people's childhoods. Yeah, they are. The more you read autobiographies and the, the more mature you become, the more interesting they are. But... How many of us read the last two thirds of an autobiography first? But you don't do that with yours. It does talk about your childhood, but it's like, it's like I don't know. It's like a a, a, a sort of uh, light fandango, uh, high tripping <laughs> drama, and you think, well, somebody's got to make a show about this kid. Uh, it starts when you're nine, then it goes back to when you're six, then it jumps forward to when you're nine again. Yes. Yeah. I mean. Lots of interesting things happened to me when I was uh, <laughs> six and nine and then again when I was 11. Um, it's funny because I, I, when I tell the stories or I think about the stories, they are like playing films in my head. Yeah. Like they, it's like watching a movie and I see that, I see that little girl and she, um, she really makes me laugh. Um, but I don't know, like, um, you're right. People talking about their childhoods can often be... Well, it's like people telling you their dreams. Like yeah. they're really interesting to them. Yeah. But like wedding videos. Yeah. Things like. But this isn't like that at all. It's hilarious. It's absolutely one hundred percent hilarious. Now, your mum and dad, as parents, they come good in the end. But let's face it, for the first couple of chapters, you know, nowadays they wouldn't get through child protection yes. um, uh, guidelines, would they? Yeah, no. They, I mean, we give, would definitely give the listeners a sense of what might happen without them having read the book. Well, I did. Uh... I did I did get into an argument with my dad when I was about 11 and and he lived in the Caribbean in, in Barbados yes. and he was so cross with me he said I had to leave the house and I had to go back to England but because there wasn't a direct flight that night he put me on a plane to Miami where I stayed for a day and a night in this hotel called the Fontainebleau Hotel, which, you know, in 1981 in Miami was just as you'd imagine. It was a den of iniquity. And, uh, and you I arrived were there. 11? I was 11 by myself. On your own? Yes. And nobody knows. Yeah. Everybody thought, thought, thought in the hotel, okay, where's her mum and dad, or her mum or dad, or her <laughs> guardian, or somebody who's older than 11? And uh, you, you got used to saying you, you owned it, didn't you? You said you took over the agency. That no, I'm on my own. Um, my dad has sent me here, and I'm fine, thank you. And can you put everything on 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 my yeah, dad's I did. I account? I ran up his credit card, which was my, I think, my revenge. And then I was sort of adopted by a Cuban dissident who was exiled in Miami and sitting in a cabana. And I mean, I guess things could have gone really horribly wrong, but they really didn't. And I, um, I think I established this independence that went on to make me be able to leave my lovely home in England and move 7,000 miles away to California. Like, it was really forged in that, you know, 11, wandering around this crazy pool with people doing all kinds of 
scary, weird things. Yeah, well, compounded, <laughs> um, but also forged um, you know, five years before when you were six and when you were nine. You know, and th- this thing about your mum um, uh, leaving your dad, uh, but in order to retain uh, guardianship of you, having to um, to fulfil three legal uh, requirements within seven weeks, one of which was getting married again to someone. Yeah, I mean, that was the crazy thing. In, 19, in 1976, a, it was the first year that a woman could sign for a mortgage by herself right. without the co-sign of a man. And when my mum left for my dad, the judge, I think believing that she just simply couldn't do it because my parents weren't married, um, we were made guardians of this court. And the judge said she had to be married, own her own house and have us in school. And he gave her seven weeks to do it. Yeah. I mean, God love her, she did it. But it means that, you know, there was this whole sped up set of circumstances and yeah. our life went from being living in the Caribbean and in London to suddenly we were in this really falling down cottage in the middle of nowhere in the countryside and I um, I didn't really understand this new landscape. It was foreign. I really hated it. I really, really... So then you said, please send me to boarding school, yeah, which you hated even more. Which was a terrible, terrible, terrible idea. One of the three big mistakes of your life, yes. you said. Yes, it, yes, it was. But, the, 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 and, but then... This whole notion of like how even bad things can evolve, like going to boarding school is one of the most traumatic experiences of my life. But that school itself was the most beautiful, creative, incredible place that I I don't know that I would have been able to sort of fulfill whatever creative dreams I've had in my life if I hadn't gone there. Yeah. Um, and at the beginning of the book, you dedicated to three of your teachers, all English teachers. Yes. Yeah, all my English teachers. Alistair Langlands, John Batson and Graham Banks. So cool. And um, Alistair, I'm still very much in touch with. And I reference them. I still have anthologies of of books and poetries that they recommended reading for the rest of my life. Like when I, went, when I left school, I had this massive binder. Did you keep a diary? Because the, the uh, dialogue from your various encounters seems so precise. I, I mean, if there's perfect licence around, then fantastic, because it's all the better for it. But the, your recollection of the stories you choose to tell in the order you tell them is, is like no other I've ever read in an autobiography. Oh, I love... Well, I, I do have... Um, I think it is, honestly, my brain has been trained to remember dialogue from such an early age. I remember huge sway... I remember conversations, and right. I can hear them in my head, but right. it's sort of how I learn scripts. They stay in you. Um, and there's... Yeah, I mean, they are, they're pretty much verbatim. Um, so... What you realise uh, when you begin to read the book after the first couple of chapters is that there are big chunks missing and you, and it's all the better for it because that's how movies are made. That's how they get people's lives and, you know, wars into 90 minutes or two hours or, or whatever it may be. You know, and that's very filmic in itself. And I love that because what happened after the first couple of chapters was, oh, I wonder where we're going to stop next. So the excitement and the anticipation in that journey was also evident. And um, the next train station was when you're 19 uh, and you're Ford Fiesta <laughs> and going to a rave um, and uh, I don't know what you want to say about that I just wanted to let everybody know that's that's what happens next <laughs> I mean you but know by which time you were you'd, you'd been you'd been acting and things well I've been to uh, yeah I've been to drama school yeah. and uh, I, I graduated drama school without an agent which is you know then it was really like your dream kind of coming to a, a clanking end because you weren't going to get a job. So I did what most teenagers do, which was I went out dancing. Like I, I just went out and I stayed out 
for that whole summer and tried to kind of figure out what I was going to do. And I was singing in jazz clubs and just trying to make money and then dancing. Morosely. Yeah, completely singing really and get the band getting really annoyed. We were like, could you not sing Nina Simone again? And one of the band toured with Sinead and she, Sinead, you know, had her less upbeat moments. Yes. And he said you even gave her a run for her money. Yeah, he was always like, oh, cheer up, Sinead. That's what I used to say to Sinead. I'm saying it to you now, like even more. <laughs> so funny, so funny. And all your other pals, um, they all had agents, didn't they? So you so and that's that's why you were a different brick in the wall and then we get to america and then we get to this this place you go and see this uh, producer or somebody who's connected and they have to excuse themselves because there's a massive row taking place in the office next door yes. and you think well it's new york it's crazy it's quite fun but it's crazy not sure i'll be part of it but then it's because of the row that you get your next big gig yeah i mean i was i went to new york i meant to go for a weekend uh, had no money. I went to see this casting director, and when I was meeting with this, this she's a big casting director. She 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 cast Casino amongst other a Forrest Gump. Um, there's a huge fight going on. So she excuses herself, and I go, and she I can hear her going, "Would you? I'm trying to have a meeting next door. Come on, please." And then there's silence, and then five minutes later, she comes in and she goes, uh, "Can you do an American accent?" And I was like, "I mean, sure, <laughs> sure." And she says, come and meet these directors. And I go in and it was Stanley Tucci and Campbell Scott. And I guess their actress had just fallen out of the film that they were about to start shooting the following week. And I, it was one of those weird things. I sat with them. I don't, they had no idea who I was. I had not much to recommend me. I think they just liked the cut of my jib. And they cast me in this gorgeous film, Big Night. And that really just began. It's, I never went home. I didn't go home for two years. I didn't come back. And to you New were York. due to go back the next day. You just yeah, yeah. The next day, literally. Yeah, and I stayed. And I you stayed, stayed, and you stayed, and, and you I stayed. I moved to New York. I mean, I basically moved to New York with a mattress on the floor and like four pairs of knickers. Right, <laughs> and you know, we've bypassed here uh, circle of friends. It's all in the book. Uh, we've bypassed Golden Eye, forty-five seconds, and uh, quite a handy <laughs> and uh, and welcome paycheck. But the way you spent your money, big fan, big fan. I mean, just I had not learned yet that you're supposed to like save your money. Are you? And, like... Are you though? <laughs> really, I'm with you on this, Jimmy. But everyone, I, it was the umbrage that, you know, my agent would be like, what have you done with your money from GoldenEye? And I was like, I spent it on tights and dinners for my mates. And she was just like, you're an idiot. And I was like, I know, <laughs> but I'm what happy. else am I going to do? I'm really happy. It was a great dinner and look at these tights. So, so, you see, so Minnie, for, Minnie spent the last, uh, whatever it was, I don't know how much the original paycheck was for GoldenEye, but she spent whatever was left in the end. Well, it was six, I got, so it was like, it was like six grand, which was so much money, yeah, I can't even tell you. And that money. paid off. Like I needed new tyres on the Fiesta yeah. and it paid off some credit card stuff. Right. And then... I did get a few new clothes and it paid my rent. And then I just took 20 people to San Lorenzo, which was this really fancy restaurant. In Beach and, it, and Place. Yeah. And it was amazing. And it was it was all it was all gone at yeah. the end of it. It was proper Babette's feast. Famously Princess Diana's favourite restaurant, wasn't it? San Lorenzo. That's right, it yeah. was. And so you so <laughs> then you skin. So you, you beg steal and borrow some money to get to New York. Then you bag this part in this amazing film, you know, and I don't know which chapter of it your life it was. I know which chapter is in the book. Uh, you know, and then come Sleepers and, and Brad Pitt and then tell us just tell us about the before that. Just tell us about the party uh, where you were introduced to Al Pacino. Oh yeah. Uh, and you had there's this lovely phrase in the book where you said, "I saw him, 
I was introduced to him. I could see him in front of me and I could hear him. It was definitely Al Pacino. So I blinked to take a mental photograph of the moment. <laughs> I mean, you, you do that. It was before phones. I was constantly doing that. I must have looked like I had, a, you know, a little bit of an eye problem because I was constantly blinking, taking pictures. Yeah, it was, it was, it was insane. I'd been to meet some agents and American agents are very different to British theatrical agents and they're very, I, I think I, I call a, the collective noun for American agents, I think, is a smile of agents. And they invited me to a party. So I went in a really inappropriate dress. Yeah. And um, when they introduced me, they were like, oh, Al, we want to introduce you to a new, she's a new amazing hot young actress. This is Mandy Dreyfus. And Al Pacino was like, hi, Mandy, how's it going? And I was like, hello, Al Pacino. I'm not even going to correct my name because you're you and I'm apparently Mandy Dreyfus. So that, that, that's that. And then what you did, which is brilliant, because you <laughs> left your UK you behind, um, you started to act. Um, but, you know, in, in your private time, you took on all these different characters, which sounded like so much fun. If people think I've lost the plot, please reassure them that I haven't and explain what I might be alluding to. Well, I think there's this notion that when you go, like going to somewhere like New York when you're really young and had this opportunity to be this other person in a way or to try on all these different identities, ideas and accents and I didn't know who I was. I knew who I was in England and I knew all those things like which were to do with my hair and my upbringing and having been ungainly and you know, um, a big girl and now suddenly I was this slim girl and these agents saw something completely different in me and I started to wonder who that was and so really that whole, there's that whole chapter which is about the exploration of is it leaving yourself behind and becoming someone else yeah. or is it adding into the mix of who you are this, this I don't know, this, this growing up. It's sort of self-polygamy if you like, isn't it? You know, yeah, it is. Uh, and, and what can happen sometimes is if we create one of our characters who has a particular story that then becomes successful, the story can take over us and unfortunately that's how you get stuck. It definitely is and I think you, what starts out as being something really interesting and in the same way that a painter will just continue to add colours to paint a picture. I added in a lot of different identities and ideas, but you, if you then add fame into the mix, you, you can really lose sight of what the centrifuge of who you are is because everything is so distracting and it's meant to be. It's meant to be bright primary colours and that's sort of what fame is and it's disorienting. Um, so... I just said that the American way, disorientating is the English way. Um, so it takes a bit of unpicking and I think you go, you have to, you go through a bit of a crucible. And if you're lucky, you come out the other side without having had 700 husbands, loads of plastic surgery. And, um, you know, I don't know, you, I found, I definitely found, um, I found who I was from having become all these other people. Yeah. And, dis and there's a distillation that happens if you're lucky. Yeah, and if you're really, not so much lucky, but make your own luck and have enough self-awareness and self-respect for everybody else and the, the world and life in general, you can come out the other side of that, you know, not having had 700 husbands or having to, had to go to rehab, but have really strong feet from surfing. Exactly. I got my strong feet from my <laughs> surfing and my mum, like, for, and my dad, for sure. How much have you surfed in your life? I mean, at this point, a lot. At this point, a lot. It... it it um there are a few years when i um 
you know, I did actually leave Hollywood and I moved to Hawaii, which no one really noticed because I had a couple of films coming out that year. And I just surfed every single day. And if you do something every single day, you're going to get you're going to get better at it. Um, I'm I, I am a totally amateur surfer. You can never say that you're a good surfer. I don't even think Kelly Slater says. I mean, maybe he is because he's like the goat, but I'm an okay surfer. Doesn't Kelly Slater have a wave ranch? Yeah, he does. Have you been? No, I was meant to go and then COVID. I, I'm really looking forward to going. So yeah. it's, it's, a, it's a landlocked wave ranch mm-hmm. and it has the best wave machine in the world. Yeah. It's and it creates a, a, a constant tube. Yeah, um, so, and then you and then they, they video you and then you go and have a kind of a lesson where they analyse your surfing and go, okay, this is why you didn't... Like your you golf swing the at Wentworth. Exactly. <laughs> Exactly. Kind of. <laughs> difference between work within the wave ranch. Where'd you rather be, everyone? Um, Mark Zuckerberg hires it out, doesn't he? Uh, yes. for, for his family, and they just have it to themselves, the wave ranch. I'd rather be in the sea. I mean, I no, really I know, went I a know. thousand times. Yeah, like, but I'd take the wave ranch. I mean, it was fun. I think to go and like try that, like amazing, because you really learn. But, you know, your story's so varied. What you choose to talk about is so varied, because there's that, and then there's the, the terrible fires in Malibu, and then there's the robot, Mr. Right, Mr. Wrong. <laughs> Uh, Saint Addison. Um. He is magic, my Addison. Like, yeah. The, do you know what's funny? Because um, can, you, can you just frame it a bit of who he might be first of all? Not now, but then. Yeah, he's he's kind of like this this Indiana Jones type figure yeah. that I'd met briefly at at a party at like a, a a lunch party, and he was really interesting. And he makes documentaries in places of conflict, and he's he's an anthropologist and a historian and he's just brilliant he's just this brilliant mind and he sounds is, is like, he real because he doesn't sound no, like I know, he's he real doesn't sound, he doesn't sound like he's real but he is absolutely real <laughs> honestly and he sounds a bit like <laughs> Catherine Hepburn because he's kind of posh New York but he's yeah. just one of the kindest most interesting people I've ever met in my life yeah. and when the fires happened in Malibu and my house almost burnt down and 1800 other homes did burn to the ground I couldn't get in. I couldn't get back to where I lived. I couldn't. I couldn't get to my neighbours who were basically existing on one FEMA meal a day. They'd run out of gasoline for their generators because there was no power or water. Um, booze, chocolate, eye wash, gloves, masks, and I wanted to deliver stuff. But the Coast Guard had also issued a no ship to shore on pain of arrest. So you couldn't get in by road or boat. But I had to get in. Uh, I was in a an intense state of mind. <laughs> So I did find a boat and a skipper and then I rang this Indiana Jones man up and said, would you come and help me deliver all this stuff? And I don't know why he did, but he did. We didn't, we really didn't know each other. Yeah, and by the way, under threat of, you know, being shot by coast guards. Yeah, we were chased by the coast guard. That was a bit hairy. Yeah, it was very hairy. Yeah. And so there's all this going on. There's all the ups and downs, <laughs> the dynamics and the, you know, the peaks and the troughs of, of Mini Driver, you know, <laughs> Academy Award uh, nominated Mini Driver and Goodwill Hunting and all that kind of stuff. And it's all fantastic. Um, and then you, you are, you do become really, really famous. Um, and you think, well, I, 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 you know, this is about as famous as, as I want to be. But then another way to get a bit more famous is to add heat to the heat um, <laughs> with somebody, perhaps. Um, and without, you know, going too much into too much detail about that, um, how, you look back on that with such affection. I really do. Like that, you know, Good Will Hunting was just, it was this massive inflection point in my life. Yeah, it, yeah. Um, and I was a kid, really. And... For all of the stuff that was written that I've never really had any voice or narrative around, you know, Matt Damon was just this lovely, talented, 
great person who was also very young and got famous very fast. Yeah. And you don't always behave well in situations when you're under pressure. And I don't know, it was a very sweet romance that we had. Um, and I really do look back on it with such fondness, no matter how it ended up. That is just sort of dramatic and tabloidy and was really unbelievable at the time. It was weird walking down the aisle in the supermarket with sort of magazine covers in stereo of him making out with his new girlfriend after we'd broken up. And I mean, by any standards, that's weird. But it's also, you should never date anyone in the office. Like, you really, it's really not There's a good another idea. phrase for that, which is in the book. Um, <laughs> It's funny because Dapper Dave and I we were discussing the scene in, in Goodwill Hunting where your characters meet at the bar, and you know, the, the, and the, it, was, it was so natural yeah. because you know, for obvious reasons, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, it was so natural because it was actually it was very it was very real. Was we going on. we really did we really did fancy each other. We really were good <laughs> friends at that point, and you know, they let us improvise a lot. Like yeah. there was a lot of real the way in which we spoke to each other. So. All right, listen. Um, we've we've we have cherry picked here, um, but there are many. There are only cherries to pick, actually, um, in this book. It's a wonderful book. Um, I can't let you go without talking about um, the last couple of chapters. Oh yeah. What a lesson in life from your mother. Yeah, my mum. My mum is all the way through the book. Um, she was. She and my sister are really the two twin north stars of of my life. And my mum died in 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 the middle of writing the book, which was just and still feels completely impossible um but she she did she informed so much and she read a couple of chapters and because my mother couldn't hide the way that she felt about anything I'll never forget watching her read um there's a chapter called I'm going to Miami and there was the other one about my hair and I, I sat watching her read these on the ch on the sofa in my house and I, it's just etched into my brain because I could see how much she loved it and that that validation her validation will, is always sort of the barometer for my version of success. And I'm gutted that she's not here to see the book be out and see how much people have loved it and and understand her. I mean, she was just this brilliant, beautiful, independent creature. And I'll miss her every day. Get it completely. But the rules are, of course, had she not departed... She wouldn't have imparted the wisdom with which you can now bless us all with, gift us all with from your book because she wouldn't have said those things because you wouldn't have been in that situation. No, it's absolutely true. And there is a distillation when if you're lucky enough to be with someone you love when they die, because it really is a privilege. They, those conversations, um, the things that we said to each other, the things that she left me with, that she consciously knew she was leaving me with, um, are amazing. Amazing, amazing, because it's like a baton being passed in a relay. There's no desperation in it. There's just real intent and real power in it. And um, it was it was amazing to see her off, me and my sister, to, to literally sort of stand there and wave her off into her next great adventure. Mate, it's just awesome. Your story's awesome. Um, how did you decide what to talk about and what not to talk about? Because it's not... Because, by the way, it's nothing to do with... And I've not asked many of this, but it's nothing to do with not wanting to talk about anything. It's just what's going to be the best read, what's going to be most useful to the reader and the world in general uh, from her experiences. But because it's the most original biography I've ever, autobiography I've ever <laughs> read, because of it's unbelievable, this book, it means you can go and write another one 
But you don't have to continue from where you left off. You can go back and do other stories in a similar order. There are so there are so many. There are so many other stories, and it would have been longer. But, but they're like, not anecdotal. They're not showbiz after dinner stories. You know what no. I mean? It's not like that, is it? You, you so you, you pitched it perfectly. Thank you. So thank you so much, Chris. I mean, they're really like a lot of them are stories that I've I've told and that I've been thinking about for such a long time because even as a child I realised it was quite. It was dramatic and it was a bit cinematic, lots of them. And I did used to keep a little diary when I was a kid. Um, but I think I think that if you're a storyteller, which I am, I've just always told other people's stories, um, you instinctively know which ones are going to connect with an audience. I've told stories around my kitchen table or on the beach around a bonfire, and you can see where people are engaged. I can feel that. Um, so I knew which ones I wanted to tell, and I know which... Which are the other ones I want to continue telling as well? Great, great. So, so we're going to have parallel, more parallel books. Not par- we're not parallel, but sort of interstitial, if you like. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think definitely. I mean, as as long as this is going to be massive, this book. Thank you so much, it's Chris. Be massive. I really thank you so much. What well, a moving, fascinating interview. Uh, looking forward to reading the book. Says Jane in Hereford. Uh, loving Mini Driver, so inspiring and testament to the words of John Lennon. Life is what happens to you while you're mm. busy making other plans. Good girl, says Val. John Lennon gets a mention in the book, doesn't he? Because your mum, massive you know fan, massive fan. And there was this thing when Liverpool's very own. Yes, when and when I was writing. I'd read this interview with John Lennon when the, the days when, particularly after Mum died, when I couldn't write and I didn't know how to write. And I remembered this interview I'd heard him do where someone asked him how he wrote songs. And he said, oh, I just reach up into the sky and I pull them down before somebody else does. Before McCartney gets his hands on them. <laughs> <laughs> By the way. But it's that idea that like stories exist in the etheric and it's just like, just reach up, pull them down, it's pretty practical, and then just tell them. Just yeah. tell your stories. Yeah, and also be, be available for that to happen. Yeah. You know, don't force it. Don't live life quicker than it's meant to be lived. Um, you, you, can't, you can't have everything, but you can have anything. I love that phrase. Um, so now you're a mum yourself yeah. and uh, you, the story about that it's it's gently amazing your book is it, it's, it's 360 gently amazing it's dramatic um but it's the no makeup makeup look your book it, yeah i mean it is it is it's not a um i suppose it is warts and all but in a way that is is how we are as human beings you yeah, know yeah. um i was just uh you know i was just a person to whom like all these different circumstances happened like any other human being and then I just wrote about them. What did you learn from your mum about being a mum? With all the love in the world, uh, because my bum, my my mum was my bum. (laughs) My mum, she would have liked that. Does my mum look bigger than this? (laughs) She would have have said this too. It was like a very different time, the way that she parented. Um, I listened to Henry a lot more, like... Maybe it was the way that I presented my thoughts and emotions when I was a kid. It was big and maybe a lot for them to deal with. My son and I have a lot of... We listen to each other. Um, and I let him tell me his stories. So in a way, he can let them go and not be haunted by them and stay very present in his life. Um, but, I'm, yeah, I... He loved he loved my mum, too. I mean, she was she was an amazing grandmother and a great storyteller. So I think I've given him that from... Henry is a great storyteller too. Henry Niebel. Henry what? Henry Niebel. 
He was called Bell for a while, wasn't he? Oh my God, <laughs> Nee Bell. Oh, I see. No, he was called Bell because I was told I was having a girl. Until <laughs> he popped up. Yeah. No, I mean, he really was called Bell and I was told I was having a girl and then I was trying to... I wanted to have this idea that when I was when I was pushing him out, and it was a it was like a thirty-seven hour labour. Because was my massive. daughter, I did, and I wanted love to be the first word that he heard. So I pushed him like love, 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 and then he comes out, and my mum went, "Oh my god, it's a boy!" And I went, "What the?" So, love wasn't the first word that Henry heard. And it's not that you didn't want a boy, and you no. particularly wanted a girl. It's just that you didn't want to know in the first place, exactly. and the obstetrician by accident told you. He he did, and it was also just like this whole notion of, of of this like the obsession around gender as well. I was like, I'm having a baby, but it it's such a big thing for everybody else, and I just didn't want to know. I was just like, I just want this this baby to be born and for me to meet them. And so, being told in advance was really weird. But then I did get the surprise of my life in the end, anyway, and I got this amazing person like Henry. Yeah, Henry, Henry's on my podcast. I've got this podcast called Mini Questions and Henry's interviewed me and I've also interviewed him and he's he's properly he's properly weird and brilliant. Well, um, you're properly weird and brilliant yeah, is well, what you are. Thank um, you. Um, your mum said on her deathbed, didn't she, as she was experiencing her own end-of-life care, she says, I know I've been, I'm paraphrasing here, I know I've been a rubbish mum. Yeah. And you said, mum, you haven't been a rubbish mum. You've had rubbish moments. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. That whole, again, the distillation um, when you're dying of, of all those things and maybe helping to just clear those last things away. It was, it, uh, she was always worried about that and being able to have that conversation and go, you were not. You did. You had these rubbish moments like we all do. That's, that's not the totality of a person. Right, you got to go because you're on this morning. This morning, oh, on this which morning, is one of the things morning. we like saying most. <laughs> you uh, really know where you are. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, you do, especially working on this program for 100 years. <laughs> Minnie, great to see you again. Chris, thank you, thank what, you so much. What an awesome book! Uh, you got to get this book in your life. Um, Minnie Driver, uh, her brand new book, Managing Expectations, is published today. Ta-da! Bye, Chris. How good is Minnie Driver? Can't wait for her next book. Can't wait for anything she does, actually. There you are. She's the megastar that is Minnie Driver. If you like that, don't forget to rate and review this episode. And why not dive into the How to Wow archives for more wisdom from the likes of Sir Stephen Fry and Louis Theroux and Dame Judy Murray. All right, ta-da!